Blog Talk Radio. you're joining us again today. It is Wednesday around 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time and the sun is shining in the Big Apple. In the middle of New York City, it is a beautiful day, one that we've been waiting for for a long time. And what happens on a beautiful day is that one one's heart gets engaged. It rises inside one's chest. And that becomes the basis of beautiful, loving relationships. And that's the subject of today's show, the primary subject, I should say, with tentacles everywhere because the subject is broad and it permeates into the smallest slivers, the cells, the interstitial spaces between all cells of our being. So I have not invited another guest on today. I have made you, the listening audience, the guest, in case you have thoughts, feelings, comments, questions about your own personal relationships and any help you may want along the way. Uh, I am a psychotherapist for many, many moons. Well, that could translate into decades, quite honestly, here in New York City, also in Westport, Connecticut. And also I have spoken uh, nationally, offered workshops across the country and the world, Europe and uh, India and elsewhere. So uh, the forum is ours, and I want to just really uh, let you know that my uh, the portal is open for your involvement and your engagement. 602-753-1860. 602-753-1860. If there's been a relationship either in your family or a lover relationship or a platonic friendship or a marriage, a partner, spouse, with whom you have had some troubling times, some seemingly unresolvable conflicts, uh, some irritations that you don't know how to go beyond and see the larger picture. 
this would be today's show would be an excellent excellent context in which you may discuss and uh, lay out questions, these issues, these sword points, so that we may come to another level of uh, understanding and appreciation of the situation. And uh, as a therapist, of course, that's what I do with people all the time, is help them, empower them to resolve conflicts on themselves on their own, through themselves, and their own creative genius, really, that either in their own minds they've considered dormant or in their partner's minds have been considered dormant. And uh, however way, however we look at it, we want to just try to embolden, enrich, empower, support, and then facilitate that inherent intelligence, brilliance we all have, but do not really activate to its full extent. And a good therapist, from my point of view, is someone who helps the client do just that. Is there such a thing as transference? Is there such a thing as counter-transference? You betcha! Of course, we're only human. So projecting onto a therapist... Or the therapist, in turn, counterwise, projecting onto his or her client are, you could say, just work hazards. They occur as a part of our subjective human nature. But they do not have to be roadblocks at all. In fact, the way I work is really, you could say, a bit more lateral, although certainly the authority uh, granted to a therapist or counselor or coach or consultant for that matter is of great value because it means that you are looking up to a person and seeking some guidance, some counsel, uh, and let them facilitate. Uh, let me put it this way, tickle and titillate the solutions that are embedded in the questions that are being asked or embedded in the conflict that exists. Are you with me on this? Yep, that's right. In the question is the answer. In the conflict is the solution. And it's a question of perception and perspective. Ask any artist. That's what he or she is looking to alter, to verticalize, to expand to create another perception or perspective. Now let's understand, because that sounds so pat, it could, you know, if you didn't realize that for every perception and every perspective that we have, that we entertain, that occupies us, or that we occupy, is actually a shift in our neuropsychological makeup. It's a change, a synaptic, neurological, dendritic change in the complexity of our neural network. And if there's a change in our brain, there's a commensurate change additionally in our biochemistry and even our biohormonal profile. Well, gee, 
What does all that mean? That means that when you think anew, when you think afresh, when you think novel, novelly, you are literally changing your physical nature. Through neuroplasticity, through the way the brain operates, you have to be making new neuronal, that is synaptic, connections, contacts. And it's geometric in nature. It's not linear at all because of the law of association and the way that uh, neurons relate and associate with each other. So those neurons that fire together, as we understand from the famous Canadian psycho psychologist, neuroscientist, uh, wire together, we are forging associations in our thoughts, empowered by our feelings, all the time. All the time. That's what we do. That's what the brain does. That's what the nervous system does. So when we deliberately fuse in order to then wire together, certain thoughts that are serving us and serving our relationships, wow, dynamite happens. Inner explosions of what could be joy occur. This is interesting. This is interesting. Are you saying, Mitchell, that we have some control over the nature and the ebb and flow of our relationships? Again, I have to quote Sarah Palin, you betcha. That's for sure. We have a lot of control. Not complete control, because we are also subject to the ebbs and flows of our cyclical nature, which is related to the larger rhythms, the biorhythms. And these have been scientifically documented. This is not opinion. But we are riding the waves of biorhythms. And we'd say, truly, women in particular ride more waves than us. As we know, we are, they are fully connected to the tides, the tidal waves and the shifts and the moon in a way that men are not. Not to say we are not at all subject. Due to the butterfly effect described in quantum physics, we are affected by everything. So it's not that we're not affected, but there is a scale of effect. There's a, a scale of influence, and we are less affected. It is fair to say that we are all truly emotional beings, man and woman. We are all truly emotional, distinct from, or I should really say contradistinct from, rational beings we're not so rational although we pride ourselves on so being and perhaps it's something we aspire to but even a rational person an intellectual type a mental type a mind oriented person will become emotional emotional at a moment's notice actually without notice all you have to do is poke them in the rib or tap them on the shoulder. And you will notice immediately an emotional reaction to just what happened and who done it and what does it mean 
and an entire cascade of emotions begins with something as utterly, completely simple as that. And that amount of cascading will vary person to person. For some, they were able to remain relatively neutral at moments like that. And others may get rather offended or have a reptilian-style reaction, reactivity of uh, fear uh, or anxiety or a moment of unexpected stress, surprise, you know. Just look at yourself. This is the way. If somebody grimaces at you, just simple grimace, notice the shift in your own body. Notice the change that occurs. If you get a look of disappointment at you or the feeling of a judgment of you, you can see that there is a corresponding emotional reaction that occurs around which you feel at that moment certainly you have very little control. However, if you are in some state that you can anticipate some kind of uh, commentary like that from someone else and you are in a state of balance, of equanimity, of also releasing and letting go what comes your way, and you're soft in spirit and easygoing with yourself and therefore the world, your reactivity and your emotional reaction could be rather significantly different than it was if you were not prepared. Well, you could ask the question, what if we maintain a state of preparedness What if we live a life of a level of consciousness that we are prepared for the activities of moment-to-moment existence? So we are not in a reactive mode, but rather a proactive mode. Changes things, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. How would this impact our relationship? I think it sort of answers itself, does it not? If in your primary lover relationship, that's with your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, let's just say, and that person is in a conversation uh, being a little aggressive, a little hostile, um, or just non-verbally, you're feeling judged or ridiculed or shamed or any of that. Even slight, let's call these shades, you will be able to notice a concurrent reaction. As the Newtonian law says, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yes and uh, no. I'm positing a possible way of being, folks, where you are in a neutral state and remain more or less in a neutral state even when there is a certain kind of action, a certain kind of energy coming your way 
that you are able to receive and let go of, but immediately, even if it's pleasant. It doesn't have to be on the negative side of the ledger. It could be on the positive side. You allow it. You experience it. Oh, yeah, either side, you experience it, and then you discharge it. What an interesting state. Or if it's very pleasant, you may say, you know, I think I want to absorb this to another level of cellular function. I want this to empower my immune system, you know. I want this to release some endorphins in my brain, please. I want this to reach down into my hormonal uh, library of oxytocin, you know. Isn't this kind of fun and funny? And, like, who thinks like this? Well, this holistic psychotherapist does because... If we want to get a real profile of who we are and what we're up to moment to moment, we can pull this life out of the abstract, out of simply the ontological, and move it into a level of being that recognizes there's a physiological substrate to everything we do, everything we feel, and everything we think even our posture, even our nonverbal communication, all of this. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on Blog Talk Radio. And as always, it's such a pleasure to have you, the listening audience, participating with your consciousness with your attention to these words and to my show and to uh, often my guests where we explore so many different subjects having a lot to do with the fundamental theme uh, I espouse of creating a better world. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like all of the above. It looks like people beginning and able to communicate with each other effectively perhaps even efficiently, but most importantly, responsibly and lovingly, not to mention honestly and authentically. Although there's a certain, um, you could say, uh, boundary around honesty, not because we don't want to be honest, but because sometimes in the name of honesty we could be hurting others that is wholly unnecessary. And when we really bear down on that kind of honesty, it could be that it's really more riddled with judgment than it is honesty. Or there might be some other hidden subconscious motive for having someone feel bad in the name of my being honest, he says with a slight swagger, a slight touch of hubris maybe, or arrogance. When? To speak authentically is actually to speak with some level of humility, of arrogance. And it's got a neutral tonality. It's got a neutral balance and a, a, a zero quality, if you will. It's got a softness to it, not an aggression to it. You with me? I think you are. I think you are. So if we begin on this micro level of how to be with ourselves and as an extension with each other 
in a way that's understanding, that's considerate, that's compassionate, that's loving, that's cooperative, that's coordinating thoughts, feelings, actions in some way or another. We're offering the world a basis on which to build community. People can't talk to each other. If people do not communicate with each other well and effectively and responsibly and be accountable for their words, gestures, their actions, their meaning, their intent, what kind of world can you build? Whoa, one on distrust, as we have it now. Uh, One on suspicion, as we have it now. Or can we graduate from the the thickness, (laughs) the um, antiquity, the dinosaur quality of the brainstem? Our first brain, for which we are deeply grateful and without which we would be dead. So it's not that. But it's more of an acknowledgement and recognition of the other brains that we have been gifted with. The mammalian brain and the cerebral cortex. These two other layers of gray matter are explosive in nature as they allow self-consciousness, as they allow us to graduate emotionally from fear and anxiety to compassion, love, warmth, understanding, patience, and the virtues that all great teachings, East and West, have been espousing, well, forever, for a long time. You know, that's called graduation, folks. That's going from a boy to a man, from a girl to a woman. That's emotional maturation. And there is always, really, a biochemical and biohormonal profile that goes right along with this. And uh, there's even a protein profile, quite honestly. Really interesting. And it's not just only a matter of, uh, you know, the type of um, uh, cortisol that is released when we go into anger mode or fear or anxiety mode. We're also talking about, you know, the relationships between serotonin and dopamine. We are talking about the activity of other types of neurotransmitters probably also amino acids, it's way more complex than it may appear when we have emotional experiences. And it's a good story. It's a good story. It's just, are we conscious of the story that we're making, literally manufacturing a story? So why not tell ourselves a good one? Why not invent a good one with ourselves and our lovers, our friends, our spouses, our workers, our employees, our bosses, 
our family of origin, our family of our making, of choice. You know, on and on, well, some say a family of origin is a family of choice as well. But when you look at the larger picture, the landscape, the panorama, we see that we are playing an integral role in all of it, and we can be conscious in ways that we typically don't really think about. And when we're conscious on these personalized levels, we can be conscious on the extent to which we relate to other people. And we relate to one, and then we relate to another, and then we relate to a family, and then we relate to our neighbors, and then we relate to our community, and then we relate to the county, and then we relate to the state. Well, you're getting the picture. What is our relationship to everything? And is it all predicated on the simplicity of my relationship with myself and those closest to me? Well, I'd say, yeah, it is. Because the way I relate to those closest to me, closest of kin, is formulating, shaping my neural network. It's shaping my actual biochemistry in my body of blood moving through my veins, red and blue, and uh, the actual, you know, shape and toxicity or lack thereof in my organs and my muscles, my ligaments and my tendons. Yeah, it's the whole holistic shebang. I don't really think about this much. That is the case. Now, I just came to awareness that someone has called in, and I would like to engage this person and see what is on their mind. So I am activating the mic in case this person did want to speak. Hello there. Hi, first of all, asshole. Ass wife, if you Google Winter Springs, it's a top 97 place to live in the United States. Uh, excuse me? So what are you talking about? Where are you? Where, where are you in fucking Alaska? I'm sorry, I missed your name. Fred. Did you, did you call to be, um, hostile or did you call to, uh, make an inquiry? I never even heard of you before. Uh, why did you call this number? This fucking jealous because nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows who I am? Oh, there are many people who know who I am. But you're apparently not among them. That's okay. This was uh, an offer on my radio show to speak with people about relationships. Um, and apparently that's not really what your subject matter is today. So um, Have you received top destruct in New York State an entire fucking nation? I'm sorry, say that again? Did you ever work with politicians, state legislators like I have? I don't know who you are, sir. So you should introduce yourself um, if you're going to be engaged with me on the line. What is your name, please? Fred. Okay. And what was the reason for your call today, Fred? 
I retired right. since seven years old, okay? How many people okay, have done please that? Refrain, please refrain from... And people still please, working their asses off, which I respect for them. But I, you got to give me some fucking credit, too. I'm not stupid. I don't know who you are from Adam, Fred, and you're using language that we don't really use on this show. So I'm going, I don't think that this is going to work out. Uh, with all due respect, I'm going to say thanks for calling, and you should read about what it is you're calling into before you randomly place a call, because that's what it appears you have done. Well. That was interesting. <laughs> you know, you never know who's going to call. You know, you open it up, and uh, he seems like he came in with a uh, an agenda that was not in accordance with my really rather broad invitation to speak, but to insult the people that you're calling is, hmm, I don't know. That's not really the way I intend to proceed here. So, I see someone else calling, and I will be glad to see about what happens this time. Hello? I'll be You're back in New York air. City on Monday. Let you know if you want to attempt to humili- humiliate me on the air and then ask me for a picture again. Uh, who am I speaking with? Rude Jude. And uh, what is the nature of your call today? You know me because I'm me. I know you because you're Tom Hanks' son. Oh, my. Okay. No, you don't know me at all. You're stealing black man's culture. See how you do. Okay. Anyway, so interesting. Um you seem again to have your own agenda and not what is that's related to today's show. So thanks for calling. And again, you should read the description of what the show is going to be about before you place this type of rather hostile call. Okay. This shit isn't funny at all. Lame yuppie humor. Yes. Thanks for calling. Hashtag. hashtag (laughs) Well, 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 we're having a very interesting time of it today. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny because I am so willing to talk with people who have um, issues, but if they come out with guns drawn, that doesn't create an atmosphere for much conversation, uh, productive conversation. And if they say, look, I am in pain, I have some uh, thoughts, or even in this case sounds like fantasies uh, that I would like to get some greater handle on, well, that opens up the space. And it's not that I couldn't have dealt uh, more steps with each of these uh, fellows who called. Of course I can. But honestly, I don't think it would be to the collective advantage, my opinion, and I therefore have disengaged each in further dialogue. And uh, I do hope that you understand that is the case. Uh, Someone else, I'll give it another try. Hello? Hello? The way you set me up on Wednesday, I didn't even fucking badmouth Marianne. 
I think you've dialed the wrong number. So you hang sorry. up on me whenever I make a valid fucking point, and you're gonna send your fucking controls after me. Fuck you. Well, I think I see that there is an enormous amount of hostility in this world, and uh, that's not a surprise to me, but uh, for my usual listening audience, it's not the uh, anywhere near the people with whom I usually deal or counsel for that matter. And I think that what happens is that when you create an open forum, uh, any number of people on blog talk radio may get word and decide to uh, join in and have their own form of field day. So that's okay. That is okay. It's just a little heartbreaking uh, when we see just the amount of suffering. And that is the way I look at this. I, profound amount of suffering. Uh, or the one gentleman was speaking about public humiliation. And um, what is that about? You want to really kind of deconstruct that psychology and take another big, long, hard look at it so that uh can get underneath it. And, you know, recently I had a roundtable discussion called Life Imitates Birth. And in that, uh, the other part of that uh, dialogue, roundtable discussion, was called How to Create a Better World in nine months and that was kind of a playful way of getting across the message that the first nine months of our lives from zygote to birthing is incredibly significant in the formation of our brain of course but more than that the content of our mind and our emotional lives and at that point we're not understanding language uh, as in its content and information, but we are understanding its intent, its energy, and its nuance. And so that goes in both directions. If our mother is a happy, loving, grateful, joyous woman, that as energy, literally, as frequencies that are measurable, download through the umbilicus into the, the embryo. One being experiencing those elevated, exalted emotions. And this makes for one very happy zygote. Okay, well, it's not a zygote for so long. But the increasing multiplicity of the cells have a sensitivity. They're incredibly vulnerable. And they are literally receiving everything.
everything the mother experiences, every thought, every feeling, every emotion, and every bite of food and sip of water is directly impacting that little being. So, if the mother is in dialogue, say, with her mother, and her mother, soon to become the grandmother, says things like, you don't know how to handle a newborn. I'm going to teach you. And the husband you picked, oh my God, where did you find him? I told you you shouldn't have married him. As soon as you get pregnant, you know he's going to leave you or have an affair. Can you imagine the emotions that will get engendered in the mother are getting downloaded. Her own fear, her own sense of insecurity, her own self-doubt, questions about her own self-image, her own sense of self-worth, all of that begins to emotionally and literally energetically download into this brand new little being. And the being has no say in the matter, consciousness to have a say. It's too early in its development, pretty obviously. But you get the idea. Okay, we have another caller. Are you getting the gist of what I'm saying? Let's see if this caller will contribute or not to our conversation. Hello, welcome to A Better World. I was on the air for 45 minutes. It's un-fucking-heard of. What, are you kidding me, dude? Am I kidding you? No. Kidding you about what? If you fucking knew what I did or what I've, the words I've received, forget about it, dude. You can never match me. Never fucking match me. Oh, that could be the case. I have no idea. But I'm not trying to match you. Who do you think you're speaking with? John from Boston. Who? John you from have Boston. dialed a wrong number, sir. You have dialed a wrong number. Sorry, but What's your I'm sure... What's fucking talent that you did all your life? You've dialed the wrong number, because this is not John from Boston. Hey, hey, listen, everybody likes... Very, very interesting. So what I see is there are different ways that people can represent themselves through the engineering panel. And... Uh, so uh, there's someone who is trying to reach someone else, and somehow they got hold of this number, and so they are calling and speaking. They don't realize that they are speaking on the air, it seems, uh, but uh, that was the case. In any event, <laughs> so be it, so be it. Um, no harm, no foul, as they say. I'm going to return to what I was saying about... Uh, early, literally, very early prenatal development because it shapes the rest of our lives. And I'm giving you an example of how it works. This is physics and physiology, and we know this to be the case today. Thankfully, there's been a good amount of research and science around the prenatal period of time where we can now 
tell, discern, measure, virtually photograph the activity in the womb. So this is real, and there is ample evidence about it, and that's why I've been incorporating this thinking about pre- and perinatal psychology into the work that I do with people. You know, I've begun to think that we should say when we introduce ourselves and somebody asks our age, we should have a double answer to the question. I am uh, 40 years old chronologically and I am four years old emotionally. You could even say we can make it tripart. I am I'm this I'm not talking about me, I'm just making a random number. Spinning the wheel. Uh, I am forty years old chronologically. I am thirty two years old biologically myself. Yet, I am six years old emotionally. So, that's the profile. That's a more discerning, distinct way of understanding age. Because how many people do we know whose bodies have aged tremendously, but they were emotionally arrested at a very early age? And they behave that way. But they are now gray or balding or very wrinkled and they are a grandmother or grandfather. Yet, they have not emotionally matured. So, this becomes a serious problem. And because we attribute based on appearance or on a stated age, what the emotional age would be, because we're only thinking chronologically. And it is way too limited a piece of information. It's a very narrow data point, as we say these days in computerese. It's a very limited, narrowed data point that does not convey and confer enough information. You with me? I think so. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. here on Blog Talk Radio. I welcome your input. I love your listening and paying attention to these vital matters of how to create a better world. And I'm suggesting that the first way to do that is knowing how to manage our stress inside of ourselves and inside of our relationships, that we maintain and manage conversations responsibly with ourselves, yes, first and foremost, and with others, that they can be imbued with a sense of responsibility, accountability, and love, quite honestly. And I'm not talking about love just as some kind of old hippie, which I admittedly am, but in a larger sense as the glue of the universe and that substrate of all reality 
that when we invoke it can set a tone physiologically in the person, hormonally balance them, energetically balance them when you contemplate love distinct from, let's say, violence or hostility. And because we're programmed toward violence, aggression, and hostility in our media by and large and by the world around us, corporate America, the corporatocracy, all the way from our neighbor to or someone even in our own family, all the way to the farther extents of nations and governments and corporatocracies. You know, it really goes the gamut. So let's deconstruct this. Let's take a look at someone using this way of uh, measuring ages. Uh, We take somebody who is the CEO of a company that is doing, uh, yielding a huge amount of human and environmental harm. Let's say it is a an oil company. Okay, they have decided. Just bear with me. That making money at any expense is for them, according to their belief system, the greatest good. Come hell or high water, they're going to make sure that they are making the maximum amount of return on their dollars through, in this case, drilling wells, setting up refineries, and uh, transporting this across the country, the state, the world. And they've done the arithmetic, and it shows that if they drill in places like the Amazon, where labor is cheap, where uh, equipment is less expensive, and where they can access billions of dollars worth of oil for a fraction of the drilling and setup costs, they're going to do it. Notwithstanding the damage to the ecosystem, notwithstanding the damage to the people, the pollution, the contamination, all of the environmental factors are tossed aside so this CEO and his management team and his investors, the shareholders, will be able to make a fat dividend, a fat paycheck at the end of every quarter. And the other consequences are considered just um, um, collateral damage, the damage to the environment, the damage to the people, the uh, increase in asthma and medical costs in the region among usually native peoples, indigenous peoples, Indians, tribes people who have been occupying the land for generations, maybe sometimes even thousands of years, and for whom the Amazon rainforest is their pharmacopoeia, is their library, is their shrine, is their temple, is their home, is their habitat. Who cares? Because did you see those sexy bottom lines? Do you realize how many dollars that's going to put into all of our shareholders and especially my 
pocketbook at quarter's end? Oh, my God. Do you realize how much more financing this is going to justify with the IMF, the World Bank, or uh, the other commercial banking financing enterprises? We could raise so much money leveraged that there's no tomorrow. Well, you're right, folks. <laughs> With thinking like that, there won't be a tomorrow. But let's look at the psychology of someone who thinks like this, who thinks of him or herself singularly at the expense of anyone and everything else. I think we have to recognize and agree that this is nothing but a very very serious state of pathology. It's a state of psychopathology. Probably as sick is that that psychology, that pathology, is the norm. I can't even say it's the new norm, because it's not new normal. It's actually been in the case for a long time. Has it worsened? You know, I would say it has. On many levels, I really do believe it has worsened. And that's why the world looks the way it does. Now, how did such a pathology come into play? How did it get formulated? And how did it then get reinforced? Let's just start with how it got formulated. I'm suggesting that it has gotten formulated going back, actually, pre-zygote, to the thoughts and the feelings and the attitudes and the values and the priorities, the confusions and the emotional conflicts of the parents-to-be. Are they married? Are they not married? Are they happy uh, with themselves? Are they not happy? Are they happy with each other or not happy? Are their families embracing the choice of each or not? To what extent? All of these are variables in the conception, quite literally, the conception or the original idea of the being coming into fruition, coming to fruition, coming into form. You got that? The conception is the idea, literally the concept of the being in formation as a result of the convergence, the synergy, of those two people at a moment in time when the egg gets fertilized. What is their attitude? What is their energy? What is their own organ health or lack thereof? What is their nutritional profile? What is their stress profile? What is their belief profile? What is their perception of reality profile? What is their interpretation of reality? Is it for the good? Is it not? Is life fear-based, something to be concerned about, or is it something to be celebrated? All of those, that holistic picture, is impacting the formation of the original concept, conception, idea. Then follow it through. There's a follow-through. The operations. If the mother is happy from the beginning, let's say yes. Thrilled. Loves her man. Consciously conceived. 
knew where she was in her cycle, knew internally, instinctively, that she was just about to get pregnant, and um, welcomed it with love, open arms. The lovemaking was gorgeous and full of connectedness with her partner. And out of that, it's just too easy to tell stories about the opposite, right? Uh, so I'm starting with this. The through line is that that little being is breathing well, drinking well, getting nourished through the attitude of the mother, the belief system of the mother and the father, as well as, let's say, good food that the mother is eating. Lots of leafy greens, lots of fresh, good, alkalized water, you know, on, on, on. But we're turning back to the CEO of a company that rapes, pillages, and plunders our planet like, unfortunately, so many do. Thankfully, many do not. But I'm looking at the downside because humanity is only as strong as its weakest link. And right now, I'm taking a moment to analyze some of its weakest links. Yes, weakest links. Oh, they might have a high IQ. Maybe. Oh, maybe they know everyone in government and elsewhere, so they were able to get the funding for their company and make things happen fast and heard that oil was a very lucrative business and decided to go into it and make a, what do we call it? A killing, not by mistake, because it is literally that. So this being is receiving energy from his parents that are making this little being interpret reality as something uh, that is harmful and dangerous. He, or let's call it he, is not feeling loved, is not feeling cared for, and begins, even in the womb, to develop a belief system in his body, literally, a posture, in the womb of not feeling worthy because the mother isn't feeling worthy. The father helps her feel that way. The father probably helps her feel that way because he doesn't feel worthy. Their self-images of each is not good. The mother-in-law is not helping the situation. Okay? Everything is dank and dark and shadowy and unpleasant and the, the embryo and then the fetus are picking up on all of this as energy. The being is becoming contracted and constricted even in utero. So when it comes out, it surely doesn't want to be here. It already, its intelligence is already saying the place is dangerous, I don't feel loved, and I'm going to get back at you. Now, all of this is very subconscious. It's all completely subliminal. And uh, yet, when you look into the infant's eyes, a perceptive person may see that from the beginning, some of these attitudes. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. That I don't know here. But you can be sure that the same parents that were um, negatively nourishing the embryo and the fetus in the body of the woman, of the mother, are going to be doing something rather same when the infant has emerged. 
has the infant emerged uh, through cesarean, through the oftentimes laziness or busy schedule of the doctor, or are they emerging naturally, and to what extent naturally? Is it a water birth? Is it a loving birth? Is there a midwife? Is there a doula? Or none of the above? OBGYN, you know, and... uh, Is it with an epidural? Is it not? Are there drugs involved? Are there not? You can see how all of these play a role in the birthing process and the psycho-emotional formation of the being. So I'm, you know, painting a picture of a pathology here. So please bear in mind that that point. Um, um, At that point, the being emerges and has already got a chip on its shoulder in some way, shape, or form. Yes, it's baby talk, but behaviors begin to show up, attitudes begin to show up even early on that give the parents or a perceptive individual some sense of who this being is. Yes, they have already been largely shaped, largely formed. If you want to hear more about this kind of thing, I would refer you to the... uh, Creating Better World in Nine Months roundtable that took place, I can tell you, on March 10th. Go back in the betterworld.tv archives. March 10th, Wednesday. You will hear some extraordinary professionals speak about this who are very involved in pre- and perinatal psychology, uh, Dr. Francois Amigues, osteopath Monica Matos, filmmaker Laura Uplinger, um, who a uh, utopian who's been involved in writing uh, screenplays and uh, uh, screenwriting for films, one called uh, The Gift of the Unborn Children. Monica Matos made a film, Life Imitates Birth, very rich material. Carla Machado, who from Brazil also, as is Laura, who uh, works with the organizations and associations of women helping to educate about conscious conception through conscious birthing. It was an extraordinary group of people. Actually, Monica wasn't in that one, but was in a prior one I did on Progressive Film Hour on Progressive Radio Network, an excellent, excellent uh, station that was founded by uh, my esteemed colleague, friend, and mentor, Gary Null, who I just think the world of in so many ways. He's been my mentor and teacher for so long on so many subjects. Anyway, you see the formation of the being that enters the world with a chip on his shoulder, how it happens, and so revenge will be mine. Self is most important and is more important than anything or anyone else. My own uh, self-enrichment, you see, that becomes the psychology of someone who heads up a company that is reeking so much harm and damage to others for its own gain. There's nothing healthy about it. 
and there's no norm that it should be matching. There should be no public common consensus around this kind of behavior. It needs to be identified and treated. It needs to be resolved and called out for what it is. You know, recently, I've been dealing a lot with the Amazon rainforest through a few different means from the Pachamama Alliance and the last few weeks of the Paradigm Shifts music and film festival that I was rather engaged in supporting as was A Better World, the wonderful work of Nancy Rhodes, librettist and uh, musician, uh, par excellence, beautiful, beautiful work. And so I'm oftentimes sensitive to the work that is being uh, ongoing in the Amazon toward its uh, sustenance and this sustenance of the people there, and it's the damage that is being uh, wreaked there, and especially, honestly, the oil companies. One of the films that we featured here on A Better World and on Progressive Film Hour and in the film festival is called Oil and Water, and it is all about the Ecuadorian Amazon and the dangers that are happening there relative to the oil business. Uh, Not to go into it more on that level, but just to say that when someone in the community, the larger family of the tribe, is found to be taking more of a substance, whether it's wood for a fire or whether it's food from the table or uh, anything in excess, they are noted, they are gently pulled aside, and they are sent to the shaman or the medicine man or the healer of the community for a consultation. And in that consultation, it is asked, what are you feeling you lack? What is going on? that you are feeling especially anxious about what is coming to you. You know you will have enough wood for the fire to keep you warm. You know you will have enough food for your sustenance. You know that you will have a partner for, um, for loving and for procreation. What's the issue? Please speak with me. Let me know what is the issue. Because your behavior connotes a problem. It's a symptom. And we want to catch this immediately. We want to catch it now. That's very interesting. And that is a model of being that we as a society can learn a lot from our indigenous brothers and sisters, and in oftentimes the case, elders. So when we bring this back home and we take that naughty little brat who feels inadequate and they grow up and they go to Ivy League schools and get 
educated in the ways of the world that I'm going to take and not give back, and I'm going to take at any expense of others because what matters is me and mine, no matter what, we have created a pathology, and that becomes reinforced and reified through what have become our cultural norms and reinforced through our media, our television, our movies, where sex, violence, and greed are extolled and merged and fused into a generic association like the neurons of our society have become fired together and wired together where these matters of, of aggression, violence with sex and money as the uh, hero worship is doing us in. A natural sense of balance, of propriety, of integrity, of values, of priorities have been lost and these other bizarre, abnormal have become the norm. And hence, we suffer so profoundly as a humanity on the individual family levels, on the individual levels, like those folks that called in to the show today. I made a generous offer to speak with the listeners and these are the people who called who very sadly, well, didn't, they were either calling the wrong number altogether or if that was just subterfuge and they actually meant to call this number and deal with these thorny issues of uh, pain, anger, um, um, insult, humiliation, all the things that were brought up in that very short space of time, we see how it gets formed and what we need to do about it. So, uh, just to sum up our relationship with ourselves and with others actually starts with our relationship in the womb even before we became conceived as a conception by the thoughts and conceptions of our parents. And if you really want to get down to it, start taking a look at that in yourself. If you understand, come to understand your wants and your needs and your priorities in life as adults from this point of view, start to get very interesting. So listen, I want to just thank you all so much for listening because if you want to understand why we are having the issues around climate change today, if you want to understand why we have droughts all over the planet uh, and what is happening in California as especially dire, if you want to understand why we have um, an agricultural system that seems hell-bent on polluting us, contaminating us with such things as GMOs, when you uncover 
and deconstruct the psychology behind the idea that making money is way more important and controlling, way more important than supporting human health on all levels. You will understand why I did this show today, why I do shows like this rather often, why I keep strumming this this uh, chord, because it's so important, because we don't see things for what they are, but as we are, as Anais Nin said, quoted out of Monica Matos' beautiful book, uh, film, Life Imitates Birth. Contemplate that one as a koan and see what you come up with. So listen, I want to also uh, say that uh, A Better World has become a foundation. We are a nonprofit. We so appreciate donations, which are now tax-deductible. And uh, for more information, you can go to our website, abetterworld.tv. If you want to know more on my work as a therapist, coach, counselor, consultant, you can go to www.mitchellrabin, that's with two L's, mitchellrabin, R-A-B-I-N, dot com, and become part of a Better World newsletter and family. We so welcome your presence, your commitment, your intelligence. Thanks again, and I look forward to speaking with you all next week.